play the first Coast to Coast Pick 5, featuring a sequence from Gulfstream Park in Florida and Santa Anita Park in California every Saturday and Sunday. Both the $1 minimum and 15% takeout are very player-friendly. Players can bet on track or online, usually listed as a separate track in your ADW. Just look for Coast to Coast Pick 5 in the drop-down. If you play on First Bet or Express Bet, you can get a free $10 bet on the Coast to Coast Pick 5 on select days to participate. Do not forget to register for the promotion. Get the Pick 5 sequence, expert analysis, free past performances, and more at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. And be sure to check the podcast we'll be doing every Saturday and Sunday for this new special bet. That URL once again, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for February 22nd, Ash Wednesday. Uh, your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, here with you in the Brooklyn Bunker. Once again, sporting the Seattle Slough t-shirt, one of my good luck t-shirts we bust out from time to time. And joining me today, coming to us from the planet Texas, from InTheMoneyPodcast.com, he is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on? I'm doing great, my friend. You can see that I was a good Catholic this morning and already went to Mass got ashes and I noticed that the church was especially full and realized walking out there are only a couple of days a year where the church gives you something so that's why everybody showed up it's usually then reaching into your pocket so the fact that you're, uh, you're able to get ashes and something tangible to walk out with I think certainly brought out the masses the wise guy in me is tempted to wander around the subway today going up to people and pointing and saying well there's something on your head but i won't do that yeah i, I can't i, I can't uh, i can't I, you're I can't a recovering catholic right it's we Indeed. all are i describe myself as an alumni but uh many many uh ash wednesdays in my life i have adorned uh, i have I've adorned the ash but uh you know it could, it could be hiding under the hat here but the good news is my face here, no longer face again. that's good news I no longer look like I went 15 rounds with the champ. I mean, I almost, it was too gross to do anything with, but I mean, I really did look like Stallone at the end of the first film. I mean, the eye was completely closed. It was bad, but I'm a fast healer. Apparently the doctor said it was going to be two weeks. I got back to pretty normal here in, in nine days. We'll take it. Um, but you know, let's move on right away to the, the, I'm just going to hit you with a thesis statement here, Nick, before we get into the particulars of any of these races. And my thesis statement is that all along we've been waiting, you know, every week there's been one level of prep or another. And I feel like we've been waiting for some horse to emerge and be one that's going to put themselves right to the top of the market there with uh, the two horses who've been at the top of the market uh, for the last several weeks for this Kentucky Derby, talking about Arabian Night and Forte. And I feel like every week that goes by that we don't see that performance, we have to start thinking a little bit more seriously that maybe these two at the top of the market are actually going to end up being decent value at the 10 to 1 that they're available at uh, internationally. And I'll, I'll start off with just with a, with a tangent right away. When looking at Arabian Night, when looking at Forte, I just noticed that what I would describe as the sharpest book in Europe has now gone clear favorite on Arabian Night. I think it's really interesting head-to-head between these two because their profiles are so different with Arabian Night following very much of what you might call the modern 
profile of a of a derby horse the the more lightly raced showing brilliance as opposed to forte a two-year-old with actual you know foundation like we used to see in the old days but if i made you pick right now let's call them both 10 to 1 between arabian night and forte which direction would you go i would take arabian night um only because we the massive variable that exists with forte is you know is he going to take a step forward as a three-year-old right we know arabian night is a fast three-year-old in all likelihood, Forte will at least be able to run back to what he was. But, you know, is he Nyquist or is he game winner? Right. Mm-hmm. Nyquist got better as a three year old game winner kind of didn't. You know, we saw the best of game winner as a two year old. And and so those are good recent examples, I think, that are appropriate as far as uh, as for comparison's sake. I mean, maybe maybe you could say classic empire. He didn't really move forward much as a as a three year old. Um so that's what we're, that's kind of what we're waiting for. It felt to me, given that Forte debuted relatively early, he was a Belmont spring debut. Um, he's probably a horse that was always a little ahead of the curve. Those are the types that you want to be very careful with because the pack catches up to them very quickly. And, you know, if you were the proverbial, uh, you know, junior high baller playing against fifth graders, then you're going to look really good. Um, and so that you're a head might, taller, it helps. If you're a head taller, it helps. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, despite having one basic hiccup in his uh, two-year-old campaign, otherwise he got very good as the season went on. And, you know, now he's catching a whole new batch of horses. It's a whole new group. So I would favor Arabian Knight for that reason. But, you know, look, uh, let's be honest. There's got to be a certain level of concern about the fact that these Bob Baffert trainees did not perform as well when they were in different barns after they left his care in the spring of 2022. So and now, I mean, they're going to be in in other people's barns for even longer. So, you know. I don't I I've not really gotten involved in all of the ins and outs of this, but like is Baffert able to train them and then transfer them to Yakteen for the race? I, you know, I don't this is such uncharted territory. I, I don't really know. Yeah, I think there's a is there a certain amount of days before oh, it's confusing. We we should let's look into that and we'll get all the info and have that in the future. I, I prefer to speak intelligently on it, um, even for <laughs> us, but but yeah i mean obviously arabian night last seen in the southwest dominating victory going to apparently come back in the rebel so that's no not the rebel is he waiting for the is he waiting for the oh hang on is he a san felipe i've got him listed the only probable i see for him on the horse racing nation site let me confirm this but i think the only probable i see for him is arkansas derby which would be that's the only one he's listed as probable for, but doesn't it seem like there'd be one before that? He's only raised it really three. would. Yeah, it really would. I, I mean, I would be, I'd be very surprised if he only wants to run him once more. He's got no foundation really, you know, with just a seven eighths debut and, and the Southwest, I would imagine he's a horse that they'd want to keep home maybe for the, because I saw that they, that Hijazi is nominated to the Gotham who obviously is, is from the same connections. Um, so if he's shipping over to Aqueduct, then I think it makes sense for Arabian Knight to run in the San Felipe. And that would still give him four weeks to uh, Arkansas Derby and five to the Santa Anita Derby. So I think that would make the most sense. That does make more sense. The other question yeah. with Arabian Knight is that the, the the Southwest dominating, though it was, um, you know, he's a two to five shot in the slop. Like it, sure. it really, it really would be nice to, it really would be nice to see. I'll just for the, 
just for the sake of argument, I'll go team Forte for that question. I, I think, and it, it is very open, right? You look at this pedigree and feels just feels like it could go either way. Violence on the top, you know, average winning distance is, is, you know, whatever it is, probably six and a half, you know, it's not, you don't associate, they can go farther, but you don't associate, you associate them more with, you know, the brilliance and precocity side of your theory. And then, uh, you know, blame on the damn side though, which was, which was time and, and distance. We're going to know so much more about Forte and we know that he is going to be running as, you know, knock on wood in, uh, in the fountain of youth, which is not this weekend, but next weekend. So I think the Derby picture will, whether or not this hypothesis is correct about, you know, maybe these two who've been there at the top of the market now for a minute being the two to follow, we're going to have a lot more information soon um, as far as that goes, because this weekend is a little, this weekend's a little quiet. What do we have? We have the, 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 Saudi, the Saudi race and the rebel, right. And, yeah. and, uh, and it doesn't feel terribly likely that the Saudi race does this, I'll ask, I keep committing the, the crime that you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to ask a question like this that you don't know the answer to, but does this, is, are there points associated with the Saudi race or is it more of just a, uh, a big purse uh, showcase? I think there are points. Um, I know that, that a Baffert horse is going um, and, and I think it's Ford Bragg. One of those um, is going. So yeah, Having I believe obviously what's that? Having a meltdown. Having a meltdown. Yo, he's going? Interesting. Yeah, he, I've got him. I've got, I mean, again, these are just listed as probables on the HRN site, but I see having a meltdown and I see Speedboat Beach from the Baffert barn um, both listed there. And then, okay. and then, and that those look like the only USA uh, probables at this, at this time. So, you know, but they could, they're not eligible for points anyway. So, you know, they, if, if, even if it's, if it's not a points race, they could still, you know, end up yeah. being on a path. Should they, should they do something, you know, wildly, uh, wildly impressive this weekend, I assume we'll be covering all things Saudi on the plus side. Um I, I would like to get some coverage up for that day and, and the rebel will probably do uh, later in the week along with our, along with our regular coverage. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just starting to look at that 10 to one and on, on Forte and thinking, you know what, maybe he could be a four to one, seven to two type favorite in this race. If we can, if the, if the path continues along the way that it's uh, th that it's going from here, because you look at some of these horses in behind and there's some good horses, but you know, if you made me choose between 10 to one Forte and 16 to one cave rock or 20 to one extra on or, or tap at Triche, I think I'd rather just go ahead and take Forte at those, at those kind of numbers, just given what we've seen and what I think we can expect for him in terms of being able to train on. Yeah, as of right now, right. I mean, you're talking about a number that could very well be twice what he is on the first Saturday in May. So, yeah, I mean, he's the big variable right now, and the waiting continues. But as Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. <laughs> well put. Let's go to the Risen Star and talk about this race where uh, the other Brad Cox got the job done. Angel of Empire posing the upset at 13-1, to 1, took advantage of a fast pace and uh, came – came running late and got the job done. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, this was a, this was a long shot, long shot exacta where I think you can make the case that there's as many stories about who didn't show as who did, but uh, did you see this one before the race at all? Angel of empire? No. And quite honestly, I mean, he was the other, other Brad Cox, right? I mean, he was victory formation and tap its conquest. Right, right. Both right. took the other other. So 
Yeah, he was kind of the outcast amongst the uh, Brad trio, and Brad had a huge day on uh, on Saturday, and I think won four races in the first five at Fairgrounds, got to 2,000 wins while poor Steve Asmussen, poor Steve <laughs> Asmussen, was waiting at 9999 for all three days, basically. Um, I didn't see Angel of Empire. I didn't, I didn't get this horse. I, I thought that uh, thought that he ran fine last time out behind his stablemate, but um, I didn't feel particularly compelled that he'd take a big step forward. He did, and um, and he ran well. Um, this was more of a, I guess you could say maybe a more traditional Derby prep in the sense that it was a big field. There was a big pace. We saw things change hands on the front end quite a bit. And I think that worked to the favor of anybody looking to make a, a big off the pace move. And that's what was done uh, by the eventual winner. Maybe not a big off the pace move, but he came from a good bit off of it. Tappet's conquest made a nice move from off the pace. Sun thunder, the uh, runner up as well um, was, a, was probably about, I'd say eight or nine lengths off the lead. The winner came from five lengths out with five furlongs to go. So yeah, it was a race where the pace was pretty taxing on everybody forwardly placed Big disappointment was victory formation. I really don't know who was betting victory formation at nine to five, though. You know, even an elementary level of handicapping would indicate to you that this was a race that looked like it had a lot of speed. He had the 13 post and, you know, bet on these horses in these scenarios at your own risk. When you're talking about a one way speed type that's now finally having to go long um, in a situation where he's not going to control the pace these are bad, bad, bad speed. And then he played out that way again. Yeah. The, the, the pace definitely is an excuse for, for some of these, but some handled it better than others. You know, it's, it's tempting. I'm tempted to upgrade a horse like two fills, honestly, who at least made a move in the middle of that fast pace and stuck on gamely um, to, to finish within hailing distance in third. When you look at the run that, Tappet's conquest made just on paper. It makes me wonder if the if the distance didn't uh, you know because he was coming he was coming from far back made a big move but then just flattened out. But in a way that I I think I it, it makes me question a little bit if the mile and eighth was a little bit beyond Tappet's conquest scope. And this is a horse that uh, you know a lot of people that we've talked to uh, Frank McGoey specifically been very very high on for for quite a while. What's your best guess on Tappet's conquest from here? Yeah, I mean, it, you 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 can't love the way he finished. He really didn't finish with the kind of, of interest that you'd like to see from a horse who ultimately is going to successfully negotiate another furlong. He did go wide, and going wide at fairgrounds can easily be a death sentence. But, you know, I, I think that all things considered, if you had drawn up his trip with that pace ahead of time, Florent and, and Brad Cox would have said, we'll take it eight days a week. So, you know, having to go three, four wide on the second turn, but getting yourself into contention inside, basically right at the quarter pole, um, that, that's, that's the kind of trip that you want to see for an off-the-pace horse. And, uh, and he just flattened out in the last furlong. I will say as far as off-the-pace rides go in that race, Brian Hernandez Jr.'s ride on Sun Thunder for second was incredible. He saved ground the entire way. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion of, of Kenny McPeak's record in graded stakes races when his horses are coming off of Lasix, but in situations where they're not using Lasix, it's been a little, but he's, he's on the lower percentage side. But that horse ran very well, um, yeah. all things considered. I totally agree with you on two fills. I am dying for two fills to just get a little bit more dirtied up 
and then get a cutback. This horse feels like a Pat Daymile type to me. Um, I, I mean, I'm dying for him to be cut back for that. He's done the classic cutback thing in two straight races, which is make a big move. Uh, Jared Loveberry has a has a very uh, a very clear style riding him. He wants to get him. He stays quiet on him until it's it's time. And, and he's got a little bit of a kick at that point, but he just can't seem to stay. And, and he looks like a horse that's going to top out in a mile to me. Really, I, know, I understand he's already a stake winner at longer, but he's going to be at his best at that distance. I and so I, I'm, looking for, yeah, I'm looking for him to come back in that kind of scenario. Um, in terms of, of also ran kind of no-shows, I mean, victory formation was the one that, that stuck out the most. The three Steve Asmussen runners collectively did basically no running at all. Harlow Cap, who was close to the pace and and just ended up stopping um, Silver Heist and Private Creed, but I mean again they were twenty three to one, thirty seven to one, and seven to one. So I don't want to I don't want to beat up on them too badly. Um, Harlow Cap is a horse who likely we've probably seen his best, and it's just not going to be good enough. Yeah, the, on time form that that half was coded red. <laughs> it feels like for Harlow Cap it was just a question of going too fast and a horse also that just looking at the pace line looks like one potentially well-suited to uh, well-suited to cut back or, or face lesser. And just to underline the, the sun thunder run that's that on paper looks like the classic Andy buyer move into a hot pace trip angle where this is a horse. I'm, I definitely would be, would be interested in now everybody was, as you might expect, slowing down a bit late in there. So I'm not sure in a race where, and I probably should have said this earlier, but the final figure came back. I think it was in lockstep between buyer and time form around in uh, around in eighty nine. Does that does that suit your uh, does that match your your understanding of it? I can look it up for sure. Here, it just I don't know. It feels like a a fast kind of average to slow race shape. It doesn't feel like the kind of race in general that we're looking for horses that are gonna be major players on the triple crown trail and therefore that it's actually what led me to my little hypothesis just a podcast discussion for fun hypothesis that maybe these horses at the top of the market are the ones that we that that we need to be spending a little bit more time talking about yeah totally agree with that sentiment i mean it feels very unlikely we saw the derby winner on saturday um it's going to take one of these horses taking a a pretty unforeseen step forward at this point they just didn't really finish up like horses that are dying for for bigger objectives. And, you know, you compare it to last year's risen star. I think we all kind of knew epicenter had a bit of a look to him and, and so did Zandon. Um, you even had smile happy who had looked very good coming into that. So what this race obviously had in terms of, of quantity, I mean, it didn't quite have in terms of quality. So I would say that what it will do is, you know, the guys that are loaded with three-year-olds that, that are obviously on the trail, um, they'll take a hard look at the Louisiana Derby. I mean, there's no reason not to at this point. It also buys you a little bit of extra time to get to Kentucky six weeks rather than four or five. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see how that uh, how that shakes out. Let's move to the three-year-old Philly division and the Rachel Alexandra. You you, you will uh, we'll see if you re- refrain from making snarky comments about your uh, your previous Derby horse. So who's your Philly? Um, who you really something you really think I'm going to stay away from that? <laughs> I was being fully sarcastic. Hey, if, yes. uh, to be to be fair, I mean no, there's no way to spin this. I was going to try to say something uh, contrarian for podcast fodder about being so far back in a pace that was notably slow, but you know, at two to five, there's no other way to characterize that effort than a disappointment. Meanwhile, pretty mischievous gets the job done, sitting just off that slow pace set by Miracle. 
the Timeform US figure comes back. Just a 104. Again, not the kind of the, the, roughly like an 84 buyer. And I'll take a look what the actual buyer was, uh, 83. I mean, these aren't these aren't numbers that are going to have anybody thinking Oaks. No, um, I agree. Yeah, um, it doesn't even have Tom Amos thinking Fairgrounds Oaks at this point. He said he was going to regroup and and see if she'll be ready to go there. You know, we saw Serengeti Empress run poorly in her three-year-old season, but that always looked like it had something to do with uh, more of a mechanical issue, so to speak. Um, you know, who's your Philly broke slowly? I saw the pictures on Twitter and everybody had to rush to her defense and come up with why all the big bad meanies like me are wrong about her <laughs> just not being very fast. And so uh, Edgar Morales, who um, is actually riding very well at, uh, at Fairgrounds, said that the stumble just really put him out of position. And, and you know, the problem that I have with that notion is that, um, I mean, essentially with about five sixteenths, three eighths to go, she got, her way into the clear and you know this was a race that it was sort of a the slow pace was kind of a mirage and that it was a very slow opening quarter but then the field packed up and the second quarter they sped up appreciably so you know it wasn't the classic slow pace the other problem is that they just completely sprinted away from her late like she had nothing in the stretch so the stumble didn't have a damn thing to do with that, right? I mean, so maybe she was a little farther back than they would have liked to be. But when they turned for home, she angled out. And, you know, he he's about to hit her with the crop and realizes that, like, there's nothing there. So, you know, do you want to give her a slight excuse if you bet on her and you feel compelled to, I suppose? You know, I think that we learned from her um, something that we've, you and I have talked about at length and that we've seen numerous times, which is that a lot of times good looking two year olds don't really take a step forward. This Philly had just become so massively overrated because of the silly chart comments and the, you know, the rhetoric from the connections about her being a derby horse and so on and so forth. And so very simply, she just became overrated. You know, she just became monstrously overrated. And, and the expectation, if you, I'll, I'll ask you this, Pete, as objective as one can be, and we crave objectivity as horse players. If you look at that race on paper and you tell me that she looks like a two to five shot, we're using totally different pass performances. <laughs> I mean, we're using totally different pass performances. I mean, anybody, any handicapper worth their salt is using some type of speed figure. Don't give me this eye test crap, right? The eye test means nothing when you're not taking into consideration how fast they went, who they were running against, et cetera, et cetera. The problem that I had with her, in addition to that, was that she beat Pretty Mischievous at Churchill. Pretty Mischievous came right back and improved in the untappable. If you, again, if you thought and you projected Pretty Mischievous maybe taking another step forward, you realize that Hoosier Philly was getting a totally different version of Pretty Mischievous on Saturday. And guess what? After the race, you realize she got a totally different version of her <laughs> to the point where Brendan Walsh was like, hey, you guys now are underrating my Philly. And I think he's, I think he's right, all things considered. You know, I think she's nice. And um, she feels like a horse who distance will always be on her side. You know, look, it's the same situation we've had with the three-year-old Phillies all winter is they've got a case of the slows, you know, they've got to, they've got to speed up a little bit and, and, you know, whoever the last gal standing is, is probably one that's going to be able to, uh, to use her speed and, and, you know, get into a forward position and kind of start dictating to everybody else. If you want to, continue to hold the flame for Hoosier Philly. I think the best thing to do is to look back at Serengeti Empress. As you mentioned, it was a little bit different because she aired 
She aired in this race. She aired in the Rachel Alexandra. But then she came back in the Fairground Oaks and laid an absolute egg. Like I, I, I don't know if she, she cracked. Is it a bled situation? I feel like I feel like we were there we was were told an excuse. That she may have bled. Yeah, there, there, there. Yeah, she did. She because she was vanned off. Yes, that's right. I'm remembering. Right. She bled and was vanned off. So that is that is a little bit different. But it is interesting that not only you know then she bounces back and wins the and wins the Oaks and gets JK in all kinds of trouble with uh, various comments and wagers made about her future. But you know that wasn't the only time she had um, you know sort of gone gone off and 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 come back to form too. But. I don't know. You may have hit on the key point. It's different when you have an excuse as pointed and in the chart as bled, it does make it, it does make it a, a little bit easier to construct that narrative where they may, where they may come back into form. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, hopefully, I mean, look, I would like to see her do well. I think she, it's always interesting. It, I, 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 I like these kind of, uh, from a podcast host point of view, it's kind of fun to have these divisive horses and, and competing narratives. And, you know, I'm obviously, more on your side in terms of you know what you're saying about the PPs and everything, but I, but it's 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 fun to have the 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 this as a, a particular football to kick around a little bit. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think there's a lot of a uh, lot of truth to that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that that we stick to is we're people that believe in speed figures, and you know, speed figure makers take a lot of flack, and you know, all of them kind of flexed a little bit after they crossed the wire on Saturday because they knew that. While that may not have been Hoosier Philly's best effort, her best efforts really weren't nearly as good as people were were making them out to be. And, and chart callers using comments like "frolicked," yeah, that needs, <laughs> that needs to stop. That needs to be, yeah. That's a funny one. That's a very funny one. Let's a couple more things from the weekend. I did want to ask you about uh, uh, the Razorback. And last samurai earning a very impressive 105 buyer speed figure there. How good is last samurai? Is it's a horse that could be a divisional player in a division that needs some players? I mean, only because because of the second part of what you said, right? I mean, it's just not a division that's any good. So yeah, he would have to he would have to merit some consideration as far as as being a player in the division. You know, he ran well in the Pegasus. And he totally and completely backed that up. So, you know, you've got to give him some acknowledgement for doing so. Uh, have we seen some D Wayne Lucas horses over time run a little bit better at Oklahoma than anywhere else? Yeah. I mean, to an extent, um, secret oath took her game to, to Churchill without problem last year. And then, you know, ran into some issues as the year went on, but uh, this horse got a very good ride from Christian Torres, really all things considered, didn't get much of a setup and was able to, to reel in uh, law professor, and West Willpower, who were respectively ridden by two guys that probably feel like they, they couldn't win a one-horse race right now, and Joel Rosario and, and Jose Ortiz. Jose, not quite as much, but Joel is just having an absolutely brutal spring, winter into the spring. You know, I'm sure that's something he'll bounce out of, but um, it was a funny race in terms of the betting because they were the two clear favorites with Ginobili, the third choice, and Ginobili was just a total no-show, and that was surprising for a variety of reasons, um, he had not only run well at Oakland, but he felt like a horse that uh, really needed ran, ran his best races with Lasix. And I think that's part of the reason why he was there. So um, law professor traveled really well. I thought going into, I, I had a last samurai law professor exacta and going into the turn, I thought that that was, was a, a singe to cash and 
he not only stopped, but he stopped and got beat for second by seven lengths. Yeah. So it was kind of a kind of a funny race in that respect. But yeah, I mean, we'll see Last Samurai will dance every dance now. I'm sure he'll be in the Essex and the and the uh, Oakland handicap in advance of, of something maybe at Churchill, like the Foster. So he's a horse that, that clearly has shown some ability in the past and now looks like he might be putting it all together. I can't, you know, can't get out of here today without talking about uh, my namesake who returned to action at Aqueduct on, on Monday, Looms Boldly, who had missed a little bit of time since the, the, the previous race, had gotten back on track, was reportedly doing well. I have to say, just physically in the paddock, didn't look as good as he did on the day of the maiden win. And I actually, um, I actually didn't end up betting. I was like, I, I thought that, um, also just on looks that the, the, the Mott runner that was in there, um, looked, looked very daunting. And I figured I, you know, I had enough on just emotionally to go ahead and, and root. And, uh, for, for a second there, you know, didn't, didn't break well, no real excuse. It was just one of those just didn't, didn't show much alacrity sped up nicely, made this very nice move to look like he might win. And then, flattened out in the ma- I'm just going to say in the manner of a short horse getting the the long shot re-rallying to beat him for second. I'm uh I'm keep maybe I'm being a homer here but I'm keeping the faith. I'm thinking we're going to see a a much better Looms Boldly next time out. Uh, be honest, what 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 did you what did you think of the effort? Um did, were there were two those two signs of worry if you want to take the negative view would be the 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 not breaking well and then the uh the, the letting the re-rallying horse beat him. Would those give you concerns about him going forward or, or do you think I'm okay with my optimistic view? No, I think there's some talent there. No doubt about it because he did make a, a pretty sustained move to get to the lead after the slow break. You know, he has enough speed to get himself into position. So he's kind of always going to be dangerous. It's just going to be a matter of them kind of honing in on what he's missing right now and figuring out if it's there somewhere. I, I think blinkers could be a solution that might not only help him out of the gate, but it also might help him kind of sustain one run the whole way around there because he did get a little tired late. Now this is a horse that broke his maiden three months ago and they'd been looking for a spot. There was supposed to be a stake that he didn't get into or didn't fill. So I think they've just had a pro- had some issues with getting him into the races. And um, apparently he's a little aggressive with the feed tub at times. And that might be why his fitness wasn't all the way there. Not that that has anything to do with his namesake, but. Are you um, fat shaming me and my horse? I hey, I can do it. But if anybody, but I am not, um, I was going to say, if they throw him a little IPA action, it could be really troublesome. <laughs> But um, no, I think he's, I think he's got some talent. You know, the Mott horse was very disappointing. He didn't really run at all. Um, Did he have I, an excuse? Was he bothered But with that incident in the, in the beginning? I, I, I meant to go back. I've watched the replay a bunch and of course only stared at the one horse. I haven't done a good job uh, looking at this objectively. He didn't have the cleanest of runs early. Um, I, I agreed. But he, I think he also may have been a horse that was just really ready to rock and roll on debut and, um, and there was always going to be a little bit of regression, but there shouldn't have been that much regression. You know, he just didn't fire the, the, the way that you would expect him to. Um, you know, nobody got hurt early. Like uh, Looms Boldly was out of the gate slowly. Problem with Mott Horse just didn't really break. And you see yeah. Lascano is kind of tapping him on the shoulder down the backstretch. And he started to advance a little bit, but he just never really picked up the bit. So. Be Please interesting. be nice. Is the man, is Please the be nice. Talking about, I yeah. want to pull the numbers because this is just anecdotal, but I do think it's right that a lot of times, and I don't know why this would be, 
But a lot of times these Mott runners that do run really well and win on debut, they don't, they don't seem to improve the way that the Mott runners that just run okay do. Like there's some, and, and you know, maybe you could say that's just a statistical regression to the mean thing, but I, but I, I, I feel like it's more than that. I, I don't, I don't know. It'd be an interesting question to dive into the stats on and uh, maybe even ask about at some point, if for some reason he has some that he brings there a little bit more um, in, in form ready to perform on debut. And, and they tend to have a more even developmental profile as opposed to so many of his, I feel like that are more being given a race that, and you can expect them to improve. We don't really think about the same trainer having different patterns with different horses, but it only stands to reason that that, that that would be true. But yeah, that one certainly underperformed at uh, three to five there on Monday. No doubt. There was a good excerpt from uh, the late Dave Litvin's book, Expert Handicapping, where he discussed horses that get over 70 buyer speed figures on debut. And he put some stats in there, but they regress at an alarmingly high rate. And um, and so that that's uh, that's something to keep in mind as well. So, yeah, we'll see where uh, Looms Boldly ends up next. I think it could be could be interesting. The, the uh, 10 strike connections also had Seafoam in the Haynes Field on uh, Monday and somehow. I, I was going to joke with Marshall and tell him your horse found the only fast breakneck pace that you're going to have probably all winter in, uh, and Seafoam got into it with what do you think now and set things up for the off the pace horses like Dr. Ardito and bank it. So uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a frustrating go of it there, but yeah, we'll see what, uh, what happens uh, moving forward. I got to watch that race with, with the trainer, Michelle. And it was, yeah, it was the, as soon as those first fractions went up, we, we, we kind of knew which way, uh, which way that was going. Uh, they need to they need to write some of those stakes going a mile and an eighth. And we'll get, you might, you might see something, you might see some, some better form from, uh, from, from Seafoam at some point for our friends over there at 10 strike racing. Anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here for this edition of the show? No, I think that was it. I think we, you know, we did, there weren't any big stakes performances worth discussing. I didn't see uh, any maidens really. There was a, there was a one other then on the fairgrounds card that um, in the past we've seen some of these races yield better performances, but it, it really, uh, it looked rather ho-hum. I think, I guess the story in it was that banishing didn't run well. Um, and yeah, so that, that we talked about some uh, earlier on and, well, and we had other Otherwise, Brendan Walsh had a, a pretty big day. I guess Dennington won the race uh, for Kenny McPeak, got up by a neck. He was coming out of a, a race at Oaklawn. Um, Tappet Shoes, who some had considered to be maybe potentially uh, a derby type horse. I think he was in the he was in the future pool that we talked about back in January. And uh, he was a, a rather non-threatening third. I guess, you know, and, and now looking through these charts, I remember the horse worth mentioning on the card. Um, is Bishop's Bay, who broke his maiden by three quarters of a length over a stable mate, um, who actually ran very well also. And they got 115 and 114 time form US figures, I think mid 90s buyers. Uh, I will say though that, and actually interestingly, is that so this horse, Bishop's Bay, is out of a mare named Catch My Drift, who was owned by Hiddenbrook. And the uh, the principal owner amongst the Hiddenbrook group was a very close friend of mine from Houston who passed away a couple of years ago, but he loved Catch My Drift. She was trained by uh, Chad Brown. And so this horse really should stretch out without any issue at all. But Brad Cox has already said, no derby, not, not happening, too far behind, um, not going to rush him into a final prep. So, you know, that's good to hear. And, and I think they'll end up 
looking at some later season objectives with him. But those two, Bishop's Bay and First Mission, were both first-time starters for Brad Cox, and they both look like uh, like they could really be something. I believe Bishop's Bay is from the ownership group that includes the tons of people in the in the Liz Crow three-year-old venture. Oh, very interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, these figures came back great. 97. I'm so glad you mentioned this. 97, 97 for Bishop's Bay, 96 for, uh, for for first mission. And as far as uh, Brad Cox having more talented-looking three-year-olds, I, I'm going to put that in the same category as, oh, gosh, this water is wet. It's just one of these things. It's one of these things we've come, we've come to expect. As for that allowance race, let's we might as well do the figures on that. Dennington gets a 91, but it's, you know, three on the wire kind of 91 doesn't get me like as pumped, but it is certainly notable that there were, gosh, what were there? Five, five three-year-olds on the card that ran faster than Angel of Empire uh, by speed. Obviously it's different. We're talking about six furlong races versus nine furlong, et cetera. But it is, it does sort of underline that point about maybe not getting too excited about the form of the, of the uh, risen star in general. Yeah, it doesn't exactly get your blood flowing. That's a that's a fact. So it's it, it gives you a little cause for pause. Um, the uh, second place finisher who we mentioned is a first mission who is a Godolphin that has a remarkably, remarkably crappy pedigree. Most of these Godolphin horses have really good pedigrees, but this horse is just his pedigree is loaded with horses who really couldn't run. Um, but hey, it happens. You know, it's it's uh, the dam has only produced one other horse who wasn't really productive. And then the second dam really has there's nothing in her pedigree. I think the third dam has some something to like. But anyway, I mean, it doesn't matter at this point. Once they put a saddle on him, it doesn't really matter as much to me unless you're talking about changing surfaces. So either way, yeah, Brad Cox, maybe, you know, maybe he had a couple of horses in the Risen Star exit the Derby Trail. And even though Bishop's Bay may not get on the Derby Trail, he feels like a good late season three year old. And look, I mean, it's, you know, we spend an awful lot of time talking about the Derby because we focus on the Derby for the first half of the year. But, you know, the year 16, 17, 18 would easily teach you that it's it's just as important to have a good late season three-year-old. There's a lot of objectives out there that you can win and route to a championship because, I mean, I believe the, the uh, well, not, not 18 because it's justified, but in 16 and 17, both of them, the season honors were won by horses who didn't even run in the Derby. Right. It's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not common, but it happens. And, you know, just in terms of our personal preference, look, I mean, we've been more Derby focused this year than ever before. We've got a lot of great content over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Eric Solomon, Eric DeCoster doing a great job. And this is by popular demand. I mean, we see what people click on. We see what people watch. And Derby content is what, you know, give the people what they want. But there's a whole lot of other stuff out there in racing that we're super excited about, arguably even more excited about in the big picture of life. And we hope that some of these folks that come for the Derby are going to stay for the summer and the Breeders' Cup and, uh, and everything along those lines. So hopefully, hopefully that's how it plays out. Um, good stuff, Nick. Why don't we get together later in the week? Maybe we'll talk a little Rebel and Santa Anita if you're, if you're game for that. Sounds like a plan. Let's hope for some sunny weather out west and uh, have them actually race on Saturday. Yeah, that's right. Friday already canceled at Santa Anita. I should have mentioned that, but uh, it does. They do seem optimistic about getting Saturday in from what I've been seeing. Have you seen anything different? I haven't. I looked at the forecast on Monday. It didn't look good. But again, I mean, this is 48 hours later, so maybe there's been a, a little improvement. 
All right. Well, if nothing else, uh, gosh, I don't know what we'll do. If there's no Santa Anita, that means there's no coast to coast. It could be a rare weekend off. It could just be a Saudi plus show and you and I doing a deep dive on the rebel. We'll figure it out one day at a time. That's how we roll here at uh, in the money media. Nick, we'll thank you again for your help and support. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 strike racing and the thoroughbred retirement foundation. We appreciate their support. We appreciate all of you out there, the listeners, the viewers, let us know if you're watching on YouTube, especially in the comments, give us your head to head Arabian night versus Forte, assuming 10 to one. Let us know what you think. Curious to get a, a sense of what the, what the public is all about. As far as that goes, this show has been a production of in the money media. Help us out by subscribing to our YouTube channel, by signing up for us, wherever you get your podcast rate review and subscribe, or even better tell the uh, degenerate friends in your life about us. We'd love to have them in the, uh, the, in the money tent as well. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos.